What's your story? I usually tell people that I have a non-traditional background, which is like code for, I come from a lot of different places. Hello, and welcome to the Tech Queens podcast, a podcast focused on featuring the stories and advice from women of color in tech. In this episode, I'm talking with Jamie Renee Williams. Hey, Jamie, what's up? Hi, how's it going? It's Tuesday, and it feels like Thursday. <laughs> so it's been like oh, a really long week already. <laughs> one of those. It, it's been a while since it's been one of these weeks, so it, it's interesting. But yeah, it's not. It's like nonstop week, kind of. But it's 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 okay. How about yourself? I'm doing okay. I'm happy that we're here now. It's been. I've I've had a similar sentiment. So it's good to be doing something that's like fun and hopefully brings some joy to people. <laughs> Yes, definitely. It's this is really all about like sharing your knowledge, sharing your experience and hoping like, well, guaranteeing someone listening will like be able to relate and just have something to take away from. So I'm going to start with the first question. What's your story? I usually tell people that I have a non-traditional background, which is like code for I come from a lot of different places. Uh, I actually originally started as an anthropologist and an archaeologist. And Ooh, I fancy. moved to Japan. Yeah, it was, it was, I, I really wanted to do that. That was like something I'd wanted to do since I was really little. I was like, I'm going to be a paleontologist. I'm going to do archaeology. I'm going to do that. So I was like, that's what I studied. Uh, mm-hmm. I went to the University of Virginia and that's what I did. And then I graduated and I moved to Japan actually to work as a teacher. And while I was there, I made a film. And I was just like, oh, I really like this. I, I think I'm going to do this for a little bit. Um, and a lot of motivation I had behind it was, was sort of like bringing uh, voices to, you know, people of color and women that sort of didn't exist as far as I could see. And I moved to California. And I, uh, I ended up working uh, in the industry for 10 years. And I, the last place I worked that most people have heard of is BuzzFeed. And I was a... Uh, I was a producer there and then I became a senior manager. And I actually, that's actually the thing that got me into tech is that it was like the first time where I saw sort of the melding of two worlds. So that included everything from the production side of things and the content creation, but it included this whole other world of like data and um, sort of looking at how data was being used to make creative decisions and how we were using that data sort of to propel the success on different platforms and develop the products that we were making. So like those products could include things like the video content itself, but the actual, the actual way that this, that content worked on our site and on our apps and all these sorts of things. So that's kind of how I ended up sort of starting to lean into tech. There came this moment where we were sort of post-2016, and I said, I think I have things I want to talk about. And I want to sort of be a part of what's happening in this next wave because I think that everybody just sort of dived in before that mm-hmm. and just let things go without really asking some hard questions. So a lot of the, the motivation for what I've been doing lately, you know, focusing on UX and focusing on product design and product uh, management has really been coming from that place. Mm-hmm. Yeah, let's let's talk about that a little bit. So like post-2016, are you you're referring to like after what happened with the election? Yeah. Definitely. I mean, one of the things that had been an interesting experience for me is that uh, when I started making videos for the internet was pre-Facebook. 
you know, embedded video player. Mm -hmm. So I was there sort of in the emergence of like going back and forth with Facebook in a lot of ways on what, what was being developed and how their algorithm is shaping the kind of content we were going to create and how that was affecting things. And so I, when, when I heard about what happened with the 2016 election, I was like, oh, we kind of were using the same philosophy, except our intention was a little less nefarious. But underlying that, there was this sort of like, I, what I realized is like the world had really shifted. You, you know, you weren't making content, you know, in the past you were making content and you were the creator and that content would sort of live someplace, you know, like television or film. But an algorithm was really starting to change what people were making and what people had access to. And I was like, this is a design thing. You know, this has a lot to do with like the design of the product itself. Mm -hmm. And so I was just, I was very curious of like, what's happening here? How do I like be a part of like, not just the, the content side, but like the actual product proper. Mm -hmm. And so where did that end up taking you then? It's taken me on a lot of zigzags, to be completely honest. Um, I've, I think I've ended up, spending a lot of energy in the last like nine months especially focusing on you know getting involved really heavily in the community in los angeles and so i've been really you know present and like we have tech by choice here uh, and also aila and just sort of being a presence there and sort of really learning as much as i can about these worlds and what people are talking about and how people are thinking and really just asking questions about like have you thought about these things and I've also, yeah. you know, oh, some, real quick, for those who don't know, what is Tech for Choice or Tech by Choice and AI LA? So Tech by Choice and AI LA, I would recommend if you're in Los Angeles, you should definitely get involved with both. Uh, Tech by Choice actually started in February, I believe, or maybe that's when I started. And it's a group specifically for people of color and women and anybody who sort of feels like they're not the sort of norm or the cis version of what is, is, is sort of normal in the tech world. And it's a really supportive group of people that gather and do everything from sort of workshops to just sort of like talks on different things that are specifically related to, you know, being a person of color or being a woman in an industry where that's not necessarily the dominant crowd and sort of like talking about the struggles and the issues, you know, specifically in Los Angeles. They also have a, an Oakland chapter that, that started fairly recently. And yeah. I mean, they're always looking to like expand outward as, as well. So I, I see this as like something that's probably going to grow fairly quickly. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I actually, I uh, think and Valerie was interested in being on Tech Queens as well. So I need to sync up with her. Oh, yeah, great. Yeah, and I'm, I'm part of the yeah, Slack. Yeah, that would be great. She'd be good <laughs> for sure. Oh, yeah, brilliant. Um, so, uh, right. So I've been working with them the last few months, just um, volunteering to do product design on some of the design re you know, the redesign of the site. So that's kind of like what I've been doing in my free time to, to have something to do. It's like something to, you know, good to have something to do. And then AILA is really interesting because it's an, it's a fairly large group of people. And the focus actually is sort of like mission behind it is to make Los Angeles the hub for ethical and moral artificial intelligence. So like to build a community of people that like when we're making decisions about like what kind of AI we want to build or what the AI becomes, you know, we're not just sort of like running quickly into the woods and going, oh yeah, we'll just do whatever we gotta do when we gotta do it, you know, and sort of like not make the same kind of choices and mistakes that I think have been made in the past. Okay, so yeah, I would love to actually get your take on that because from my point of view, 
Um, I see the field of machine learning as a bit troublesome because from where I stand um, as a software engineer in the tech industry, I see that most folks that are really invested in machine learning are just like mostly a homogenous group of people. And I think that long term that translates to a potential dystopian society where we have these very intelligent algorithms deciding what we do every day, super embedded in our everyday lives, created by a group of homogenous people. And therefore, a lot of things will be overlooked and there will be certain biases. Um, so unless we push for more diverse uh, perspectives in those fields, those algorithms are essentially going to be biased against certain people. And so like a good example of this would be like surveillance and police states. If we have algorithms that are targeting certain people all the time, it's not going to be great for anybody. So I'm just like wondering what's your take on that? Right. So two weekends ago, uh, I actually had a really cool opportunity. I was invited to participate in the first tiny tech zine fest in Los Angeles. And it was an opportunity for people who are sort of not always spoken about in the tech industry to sort of like put their positions on paper and sort of like present it and like sell this sort of zine. Uh, and the zine that I was focusing on was actually around this topic and sort of how we're at a critical moment where we are sort of looking at AI. And what I see is that AI is just a mirror. You know, it's just amplifying back to us what are all the things that we need to improve on and all the, the things within ourselves as individuals and as a society really need to take a hard look at in terms of what we're accepting to be true. Uh, and the way it sort of works in, in terms of like what the question is that you're asking, I think it has a lot to do with the fact that some of this is just sort of like a problem of ignorance, not ignorance with ne you know, negative intention, but ignorance by the sheer fact that there isn't any diversity of thought or background or experience, but the products will affect people who have different thoughts and different experiences and different sort of like backgrounds. And I think that the way that it's playing out actually has a very simple solution. You know, we have to decide that we're going to make different choices. And those choices are going to be, you know, they begin in places like training data, which seems like a weird place to begin, but it's kind of the quintessential place where these mistakes and these injustices are sort of beginning. And that's where the root of the problems are. You know, there was a article that I read in March, I think it was in Business Insider, and they were talking about how autonomous vehicles were actually having a hard time recognizing dark skin. And my reaction immediately reading that article was like, oh, it's not that the it's not that the, the code is creating sort of like racist, you know, responses in a car. It's like, no, of course not. The, the, you know, the car knows, doesn't know the difference, really. But the training data, if you look at the history of photography, you know, and the way that film was developed and who film was developed for and the skin color that was film was, you know, developed around, you can see how historically the images that are available are gonna you know, be biased towards one skin color over another. And just the fact that you can even begin to think like that or recognize that, I think is like, what is the most important? To be curious, to start asking those questions, like who are we leaving out? You know, I read this really good book this year by Kat Holmes, who's over at Google. And a lot of what she's talking about when she talks about inclusion is this idea that we need to really be looking at things and saying, who are we missing all the time? 
and not assuming that everybody that needs to be at the table is at the table. The trick is, I think, figuring out how to get to the table. I think that there's, you know, in a way, what's been really interesting and insightful, and I don't know how valuable this is to anybody who's listening, uh, in the last few months while I've been searching for something a little bit more full-time in terms of work, is that I think there's a buy-in in terms of the ideas that I have, but there's sort of like a gap in understanding of like how my background, my literal background, that really is not a, a direct through line to tech is of value in a world that is very much all about sort of like pipeline and like, you know, being homogenous. Everybody comes from the same school and everybody spent the same 10 years and everybody did the Google internship, you know? So that's been a really interesting and insightful kind of humbling experience actually uh and if 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 the tech world can figure that out i think there's like actually a lot of opportunity to turn things around yeah and i think that we are kind of seeing that uh, i know like there are a lot of different apprenticeship programs that are like opening by different tech companies or just ramping up now and apprenticeship programs are essentially where you get paid to learn on the job and you don't have the traditional CS background, you don't have any like real years of experience, you're kind of just like trying to ramp up and they're essentially paying you to learn. So that that's like one thing that I've seen that specifically targets non-traditional backgrounds. And then the other thing too are like all of course the different coding boot camps where it's like four to six months, um, you know, dedicated to just like learning how to get to that junior developer role like as fast as possible. So I don't know if you've looked into either of those options or what you think about those. Um, but I agree that we, there is a huge demand for this type of work like in, in tech in general. And it's also one of those fields where a lot of wealth generation can be obtained, which is super important if you come from um, if you're a minority in the U.S. in general, honestly, uh, because of our history with that. Uh, so wh- what are your thoughts there? I think, well, I think the first thing is I know how to code, but that's not what I'm trying to get into. So that those things I think are really valuable if that's the, if that's the sort of direction you want to move in. I've seen people be very successful in those spaces. I think uh, what's interesting is uh how the tech world is is sort of managing people who have more actual work experience with the knowledge, you know, like sort of being self-made in, in terms of like your knowledge of the tech world, which is a really different space. You know, it's not a space right out of college. It's like a space that's 10 years out of college. And so you have a level of like understanding and knowledge that's like has a depth to it, but it's also, it's also not specifically in tech, which is actually really really helpful when you're coming into some of these problems because you're coming from a very different perspective. Like I understand the problems with photography because I ha- I understand the history of photography from a previous experience of me working in film and video. I also understand it because I was trained as an anthropologist. So like I, I, I have a very specific understanding of like human behavior and human connection and these sorts of things that I think are actually very valuable when for, you know, for solving some of the problems that you're describing in terms of the injustices that are going to be sort of the byproducts of that. And then also, like, I had a summer where I could sit and do a medical neuroscience class. So I'm very familiar with sort of the mechanics of, like, how people structure meaning and how those things are become important and how when you look at 
you know, machine learning, how the ideas behind machine learning have been created from that knowledge, you know, and understanding how to fix those problems is going to actually take a lot of understanding of the knowledge that created them. And so I think that that is a weird space to be in, you know, because it's, 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 it's a little different, I think, from coding, you know, because I think coding is very important, but I don't think that the solutions of this are just going to be relying on just engineers. I think there's going to there's going to need to be some other, you know, and I think this is why you've seen the emergence of like UX is I think UX actually is a place where that, that can, can help lead to sort of better designs. And so when, you know, when you're working as a developer and you're sitting down, you have a much better understanding of why you're making those choices and like why the, you know, why the logic and the system is being developed in that way. And I think that's really important. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, I guess shifting gears, though, you talked about like how post 2016, you wanted to have more visibility into like, I guess your story. What other, I guess, action items would you recommend for those who are trying to make their voice more visible? Or also, what advice would you have for those like trying to break into the tech industry from like a non traditional background? Uh, I would say the things like in terms of tangible things that have been super helpful is if you're in a place that has a meetup, go to the meetup, you know, meet the pe- meet as many people as you can. One of the things I did really early on that was actually great was, you know, finding somebody at a company that you were interested in that was kind of doing a job you had interested in, interest in and asking them, can I buy you a coffee? Can I ask you questions about the role? Not to get a job, but just to find out about the role to sort of make sure that what you think you want to do is actually what you want to do. And then also, I think one of the things I liked about that experience is like, I got a lot of insight about companies because we, it wasn't about getting a job. It was literally like, what do you like about this place? What are you struggling with? Now, it was very candid. And I think that that was super helpful because you always walked away with something, you always walked away with one more person you didn't know before in the tech industry. You know, when you saw them again in an event, you're like, hey, how's it? You know, so it like builds like a network of people if you don't have that network. And meetups is another great way to do that. It's also another place, I think, where you can start to like participate in a conversation. So like going to AILA events and just talking to people and asking questions, it, it's starting to reframe and change the conversations, which is what you want to happen, even if you're not literally in the weeds all the time, you know, doing the work. Another thing I would say that's really great and tangible is like do the free work, you know, do the volunteer projects, like find the, find the organizations you like and say, hey, I want to help you with your site. I want to help you with whatever app you're developing. Like, so you can build some experience to go along with like these people that you're meeting. You know, and eventually at some point, you see these connections just sort of start to like come together and like you get a lot of opportunities. So I would say, that, I mean, that stuff has like worked amazingly for me, especially since I didn't know anybody. And now I just like, I'm like, I know all these people in this community in Los Angeles. And I go to, I go to events now and I'm like, Oh, I saw you at the last 10 events. You know, so like it, it feels a lot better. It feels like I, there's a presence there, which I think is important. Right. And essentially what you described is like the power of networking. So for those who are, I guess, super new and maybe more introverted, do you have any tips for them? Like, I guess, easing into that or are you just like naturally extroverted? Um, I would not consider myself an extrovert, actually. I am very like, calculated about spending a lot of time processing. <laughs> uh, I just, I think the key is to sort of follow the things that are of interest to you because then you're naturally 
gravitating towards the kind of people that are going to want to talk about what you want to talk about. So what was really important to me is not forcing myself to do things I didn't want to do. So if I went to a meetup and I didn't really like the vibe or it wasn't quite, I would just not go to the, that one. I'd find another one, you know, and I went to a few. And I don't think I really talked much in the beginning. I just kind of like went for the experience. So maybe go to meetups that have talks where you don't have to actually interact very much. You could just sort of get the vibe of the kind of people they bring in, which was really important because like, oh, maybe I can keep coming back, you know, like try to learn something. I'm always a proponent of like talk to the person sitting next to you if you feel okay with it. If not, that's fine too. Uh, I think you just have to like lean into what isn't feels comfortable for you. So I don't think it's a matter of like, you know, that I think it's like a perception and networking that you just like have to go out and talk, talk, talk. And I went to some of those events. I was like, I don't like this. Mm, <laughs> like, I yeah. want to talk to the people that make something interesting. I was like, so I just stopped going to those kinds of events where it was like a blanket event where you paid money or they, you went and it was just like you had to go from table to table and pitch yourself. Like, that is not me at all. Like, I'm not only am I introverted, but I, I just am not interested in that. Like, you know, uh, so that was a big thing, I think. It's just sort of being a little bit, I mean, being honest with yourself, I think, is okay. Yeah, that's fair. Um, I mean, like, huge plus one for me, or from me on that, I, I actually started out similarly. Um, I still remember my first meetup back in Norfolk, Virginia, which is where I'm from, and it was through Norfolk JS, which is, like, the Norfolk JavaScript group, and it was um, a meetup on CircleCI, and I was just getting started, so everything that they talked about was pretty much over my head, uh, or went over my head, and I think that most of it would still actually go over my head. I mean, I know like Circle CI is a CI CD like platform or continuous integration, continuous development, but I don't really work with that stuff. So <laughs> it's, it's actually not as relevant for me still, even like, I think that was five years ago or something. So do you remember your first meetup out of curiosity? Ooh. This is a good question. I think the answer is probably no, because my memory is like all over the place. But I do remember, (laughs) I do remember the moment where I decided that it was okay that I didn't know everything, which I think was really, which made it a lot easier for me to go to meetups because I think, I think I had an, and maybe this is just like advice in the tech world period, if you're not you know, the sort of, you know, you don't fit the, the norm or the expectation or even the stereotype or the archetype is that there is sometimes this perception that you like need to know everything you need to know more than everyone else, which I think can be a real barrier, you know, so I just had to sort of like find a place where I was like, you know what, I'm just going to accept that there's going to be stuff I'm not going to know. And the irony was what I found out is I knew a lot more than most people. <laughs> uh, so it was, I was like, oh, I'm glad I didn't believe that because I would still be sitting in my house not doing anything. Mm-hmm. So I think that that's really, you know, I think that's kind of a thing that I've experienced, I think, just being a minority my whole life is this idea that, oh, it doesn't look like everybody else on paper. So somehow I must be missing something. But I, I don't know that that's true. And I think that that's why I've, really appreciated meetups and groups like Tech by Toys because, you know, you get into this environment and that's one of the things you can talk about. You know, you can talk about this feeling of like, it feels really weird when you're sitting at a table and you're the only person who's talking about diversity or inclusion and because you literally are the only person who is even remotely close to being diverse or 
thinking about the fact that they might feel excluded. Uh, so I think it's really important when you're looking at meetups, you know, to, for me at least, to go to, to go to the places where you can find sort of like commonality. So like tech by choice is really helpful, but I also wanted to push myself and go a little bit into spaces that were a little more homogenous because I, I really believe personally that presence is a huge thing, a huge factor in changing things. Even if like, it doesn't feel like it has an immediate effect, like the fact that people have to see you in a room, I think just like shifts their thinking. Even if they're wrong and they say all the wrong things. <laughs> That's super interesting. I actually want to touch on that more. So like getting into those more homogenous spaces, like it's not something that I'm super comfortable with yet because I've been like, I think I have had enough of that, like in the workplace. So then when I'm outside of the workplace, I'm trying to find like the most diverse spaces I can. Or I'm trying to find like my tribe essentially. So like this organization that I'm really heavily involved with, is called Tequeria and it's for like Latinx and tech. And that's like my, that's like my tribe, you know, that's my people there. And so I guess, but what you're just, what you just said, it's so true. And I didn't really think about it that way because I guess, I mean, I think it's fair that it's not for everyone too. Like sometimes you don't want to have to be exposed to that homogenous environment because it is extra effort, I think. And there's, it's a bit more taxing almost. Because I, I still remember like my first job part-time as a developer, I was the only female and I was the only minority. Everyone else was a middle-aged white guy and they were really nice. And I didn't have any like toxic issues, thankfully, because if I did, I probably wouldn't be talking to you right now knowing myself. But like that was still... It, like it, it didn't feel bad, but it didn't feel like good either. And so for me, outside of that, I, I always wanted to seek out like, hey, where can I find people like me? I don't know. What, what's your take on that? I think it's okay to feel uncomfortable. I think it's part of the process. It's unfortunate, but I think it is a reality that you kind of have to face is that when you are the minority, you are the minority. And so you have, by that definition, just like things that fall on you that you don't want but you have to sort of deal with you know and it's it's just some part of it is like that's the way it is so I think it is important to take care of yourself and to like go to the spaces where you feel comfortable but I also think there's a lot of power and that can come from knowing it's like you are standing in a place that feels a little intimidating and scary but you are having an effect you know I there's this quote I'm not going to quote it directly but there's this quote I hear all the time it's a Maya Angelou quote and it's something along the lines like is that you're planting the seeds for the shade of a tree that you may never see in your lifetime you know and I've looked at I've looked at sort of like this stuff is like yeah sometimes it's really hard you know you're like I just want to be in a place where like I'm with my people and my people make me feel good you know and it's like I want that all the time but it's also just not the reality, you know? So it's like, you just have to, to me, the only way I can sort of justify it is just knowing that this, like, there's going to be a place somewhere in the future, I hope, and maybe within my lifetime, but if not, where it's going to be slightly easier for somebody else. And I've seen that. I've seen that even in my lifetime. I saw that in when I worked in video, it was just sort of like being the first woman in that environment full of men who are all white and who are all, you know, like very much driven by like wanting to one up each other and ego and like just sitting there and you know and and being told things and hearing things and like uh, 
you know, all I kept saying is like, what are we, you know, where are the changes happening? And slowly over time, you could slowly see the changes, you know, the next person that came in got treated slightly better and the next person after them got treated slightly better. And I was just like, this all is an accumulating process. Mm. And I think that there should, you know, I hope that like when, when, you, you know, when I go to places like Tech by Choice and we're all sitting in a circle, I'm just like, we have to really look at the things that are positive too. We can't always harp on what's not working because there's a lot of things that have moved forward. And I think that, you know, there is this feeling sometimes when things go back that are like, oh my goodness. But I think the, I think you have to like really be in, in both spaces. And I think it's okay. I think it's okay to have moments you're like, I can't go to this today. I don't think that's wrong. If this is the day when you need to sit at home and not be in that space, if it feels toxic, I think that's okay. I think it's okay that people give themselves that permission and not feel guilt about it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think you, I think you did raise a really good point that I hadn't, you know, thought about, which is like seeking out those spaces intentionally sometimes, even if you are one of the very few, you know, minorities or women so that there is presence because that does matter and you might be making it easier for the next person. One thing I will note though, is that there is like that concept of tokenism. So you want to be careful for that. And just want to make sure it's not like a pattern on their part, like whatever you're being a part of. Yeah, that was really good. I guess this kind of leads back to, so you were talking about like having the confidence, right? And it it reminded me of imposter syndrome, actually. I'm sure you're familiar with that phrase, but it's essentially this concept. And again, too, like I don't want to harp on all these negative stuff. We'll get get into more positive stuff because I think that's really important, too. But like basically imposter syndrome is this like concept where you don't feel you're really good enough. And so you start doubting yourself a lot. And so from what I've been exposed to at different DNI events, a lot of folks who are first starting out in tech go through this process of imposter syndrome. And it's not just like minorities, it's actually all, all types, you know, white men too. But for some reason, we, I think, maybe experience it more just because of everything. So have you experienced that? I feel like maybe you did because of the previous conversation we just had on like building confidence, but I'm wondering what, what's your I take think, there? I mean, there, I would say there was a period in the beginning when I, there was that feeling. And I think the thing that really sort of helped me get out of that space was to ask myself some sort of like very simple questions, you know, was that identity of being an imposter part of a story I was telling myself or was it, was it real? And I, you know, was it real like it was coming from the outside? And I decided, I was like, it doesn't really matter if it's coming from the outside because if, if I'm real with myself, there will always be people who think I'm not qualified enough and there are always people who think I'm overqualified. And the imposter stuff I realized was actually about me doubting my own ability right. to be willing to Ale, which I think was a big thing. There was like a lot of pressure that I was putting on myself to sort of be successful and be productive and not make mistakes. And the irony is, if you look at the tech world and the people who have been the most, you know, successful and by success is like they have huge companies and they they raise a lot of money or whatever. There is an element of it that does have to do with the privilege. I'm not going to deny that there's that element, but there is also another mindset that they have that I think is actually obtainable which is like your belief that you have the capacity to navigate your way through failure you know you're saying i can make a mistake and fix the mistake 
And if I make a mistake, like being okay with that, and it actually made me feel like I could be more, I, I found myself actually being more successful. Weirdly enough, I wasn't sort of, I wasn't inhibiting myself. So I was taking like risks. I would go to places and so normally sort of been like, oh, I shouldn't go to these, I shouldn't say anything because I'm not an expert on AI. I mean, that was a huge thing. I was sort of like, I didn't know anything about AI when I first started going to these events, like nothing. I was like, I don't know. But as, this, as I was listening to things and not knowing what people were talking about, I started sort of digging in myself and discovered, I was like, oh, this is a lot simpler in a lot of ways than I thought, and I can learn this. And there came this point where I realized, oh, I actually know more than people who are talking at these events now. <laughs> you know, so I think it's just sort of like a lot of the process actually, I think is internal. Uh, and and that, I, I think that's okay. And maybe that's why it's something that does cross, that does cross over from, you know, just not being something that is affecting people of color or women, but it also affects, you know, men as well, is that there's this fear and the sense that you have to like do everything right all the time. And I think that the, I think the key to that is just sort of like being okay with like, I'm good. there might be a moment where I say something that's kind of stupid. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and being able to like laugh at it and just like, okay, I said something stupid. The world did that and that's good, I survived that, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? So I think yeah. that's really important. That's, I also think that's just something yeah. that might just be something that comes with with age too, you know? Like when I was younger, I probably was much more, I definitely was much more about doing everything right the first time. And I've gotten a lot better at, you know, being willing to like fail because I've actually learned the most stuff when I've done stuff wrong. Mm. Yeah, I mean... There is like some confidence though that I that I see in like other folks where it's like mostly like like cis white men to be honest like in the workplace where they mm. might be completely wrong and not actually know what they're talking about but the way they say what they don't know about actually comes across as super confident. So maybe that does come with age but also I feel like it does like it's part of privilege too like you were saying. Yeah, I mean, there is that element of it too. But I I think that it's tricky because, you know, it, it does feel like there's like a risk and you just want to like do what you're, t- you're told and sort of like get through things. <laughs> but I think what the negative effect of that has been and can, can be is that people get pushed out. You know, like you end up getting pushed out anyway, even when you're doing the right thing, supposedly, whatever that means. You know, so it's sort of like, I guess the question for me just became, I was like, well, if, if it's going to feel like it's going to be a challenge either way, maybe I should try to see if it's possible to get something done before I get to a place where I'm like, I'm tired of this, or, you know, I need to move to a different space that feels like less toxic. Mm-hmm. Um, it just it's a really complicated issue because I don't, it it doesn't have like a super easy, clear solution. You know, I don't think unfortunately when you are a person of color, you have the luxury of having it just be easy all the time. Like that's, it's, we're just not in that place. Um, I'm not saying you have to go out and be like an activist necessarily, but there is just some level of discomfort. And so like, I think it's just like, it's really on each person and where they're at with themselves about what they're, what, you know, what they want to do and they don't want to do. And like, I don't think, I don't think it needs to be a judgmental thing. I just say you know, everybody's going to be in a slightly different space. Hmm. 
I mean, from where I'm sitting right now, you do come across as super confident, so kudos to you. I'm actually curious as to like what you want to do long term or what you're interested in doing long term, like career wise. Um, career wise? Ooh, I'd like to write a book. That would be cool. Uh, I'd like to figure out a way. I think I think the things that are sort of like really interesting to me are ways that people can build community and like ways, you know, especially in tech, I'm very curious of like the ways that we could use tech to help build community and sort of help people heal in terms of like healthcare and like mm. their their health and just sort of bonding. Like all these things are part of being human that like get lost sometimes when your money is the top priority. And I think that I've seen actually, I don't know if you're familiar with like Arlen Hamilton, but I've seen a lot of, of Arlen Hamilton. Do you know who that is? Yeah, Backstage Capital founder, right? I like looking at the projects that get funded there. Uh, not just because they're being funded by people of color or, or women, but because they tend to be things that solve real problems, you know, for real people that have issues that can sometimes be matters of like living and dying in a comfortable way. And so I think that like that's the I think that's the space where I'm like very curious about just overall and like tech to me is one aspect of that. You know, like a lot of questions I've been interested in in terms of like AI is like if we're going to live in a world where like AI is going to fill jobs, like how can we also use AI to like create a living situation for people where that's not going to be to the detriment of huge populations of people. Another thing that I thought was really interesting is like the impact of tech on improving or destroying the environment. You know, I also read this article this year that was talking about how much the processing of AI costs in terms of the carbon footprint. And I think the article was something like, you know, from the manufacturing process through the whole life cycle of five cars, that's the equivalent that something like blockchain takes the process on the back end. And I'm sort of like, yeah, that's not very sustainable. Mm-hmm. And so I think that like there, to me, the issues are a little bit beyond sort of like, how much money can we make? How long can we keep people online? I was like, that's interesting. That might be a value, but like expanding it out to some of, some of the issues that I think people of color historically and women have actually had to face, which are usually injustice issues, you know, like being, being unable to live a life. And I think that I'm not a kind of person that looks at technology and goes, Oh, it's just bad. Like, I don't think it's really bad. I think it's just, you know, kind of to what you were saying earlier, there's a space where like we need to really have people who are going to have different things to say and want to prioritize different things. Um, to be able to to not just spiral everything out of control. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, tech in general for me has always been a double-edged sword. Um, and you can decide like whether you're going to use that knowledge of tech for good or bad. Um, and from what I've seen recently with a lot of tech companies, um, at least with immigration, which is like a of course a huge issue for the latinx community is a lot of them are not using them for good because they have like contracts um with ice and other similar organizations mm-hmm. and, and so it's like about ethical tech and i think there was like actually this article shared in the techaria slack today where it was about how the stanford students now are like concerned about what company they decide to go with because of these like ethical issues and I think for me it's like yeah that makes sense because if they go there it kind of tarnishes their own brand if they're working for a company like Facebook 
or Amazon where it's really clear that there's a lot of there of course there's a lot of good going on and yes like I use Amazon Prime myself like I'm aware of like this balance between like criticizing all these companies but at the same time still using like their products but then for me it was like okay the Stanford students don't want to tarnish like their own brand and to me that makes sense but it's also like a question for them of like ethical tech and I'm glad that that's becoming like more prominent because I think it's just being reported on more so yeah yeah I mean this is just sort of like it's funny there's small ways that you can like always be making trying to make changes like if you look at what you can do in your job it's just like even presenting something in a different way even if it gets rejected that's like you attempting to do something a little bit different because you never know when the moment will be where someone will say yes and so I was, it's funny, I was watching, I was watching live television a couple of days ago. I haven't watched live television in, I, don't, I can't even tell you how long. <laughs> and there were advertisements, you know, I was watching the ads, actually. I wasn't even sure what I was watching Ooh, television-wise, but I was watching yeah. ads and I was looking at the ads going, wow, it was a pharmaceutical company and they had a wedding and the one side of the family was black and the other side of the family was white. And I was like, oh, wow really changed and I remember when I was first working at BuzzFeed and we were casting one of the things I was just like we have to do this every time is put people in the you know in a lineup of people that we want to show to clients and brands that look different even if they say no 150 times maybe they'll say no or they'll say yes on 151 and that's the one time it matters and like slowly over time you know you could see that like when the first person does something every, and it works, everybody's like, oh, let's do that. I mean, that's how changes happen, which is sort of like, you know, like you working as a coder, it's like, you're like that moment where you're just like, I'm just gonna say this and see what happens. Maybe totally shut down. Probably will be shut down, right? You're like, okay, could, there's a, the probability is high that it'll get shut down. But all you're, bet, you're betting for is that one time, because that one time is like, is the thing that slowly starts to shift everything. Mm-hmm. And I've just seen it happen in real life. So to me, I'm like, oh, this is, you know, like, this is why when you're talking about like stampers, like when people start talking and then they start acting, that's when things start to shift and that's how it happens. And like, you know, so like, it's good. It's just, you know, it's like, it's not perfect. It doesn't solve everything immediately, but there's something good there. And I think that like, people should celebrate that, you know, like the fact that people are even having a conversation at Stanford about ethics says a lot about <laughs> the people who kept saying that two years ago. <laughs> no, that's totally fair. <laughs> yeah, it's it's a weird world. I mean, to to like the one of the first things that you talked about, right? Like I keep thinking about it, like you're the post-2016 feelings. And I feel like as of late, almost everything is on edge, or I feel like more stuff is on edge. And I'm wondering how do you de-stress from like a really bad news day? Or do you just tap out of the news? Or how do you stay informed while also like remaining optimistic about the state of things? Uh, so I used to be like a news maniac like a year and a half ago. I, like, right, BuzzFeed. All yeah. I did all day long was like, well, not even just that. Like all I did all year, all day long was just like, read articles after article and I listened to podcasts after podcasts. I was like, I know everything there is to know about how horrible the world is. And I was like, and I feel really horrible. Like the world is going to like somehow implode and blow up. And then I just came to this place where I was like, I can't do this anymore. And I have 
I turned it all off. I turned all the news. Mm. I took off all the apps. I turned off all the notifications. And I was like, oh, I got my sanity back. And the thing is, what was really weird is like, there was a moment in the beginning where I was like, oh, I'm going to miss out on something. Like something important is going to happen and I'm not going to know immediately. And then I realized that most of the stuff that I thought I needed to know immediately, I didn't need to know. Like, it was it was just shocking. I was like, it's okay that I found out about this like 25 minutes after it happened instead of <laughs> one and a half minutes after it happened or even three hours or two days. I was like, you know, like when people have died or something like that, I'm famous. I was like, oh, I didn't know that. But it also, I didn't need to know what happened either because they don't really have that much of an effect on my life. And the thing I liked about that is I got a lot of energy back in terms of like feeling like I could do things. I was like, wow, that was sucking a lot of my energy. You know, I like just didn't realize to be so entrenched in like ne that negative news, it was making me negative. And so I was like, oh, I mean, it was by, it was kind of by accident, I think, because I just like, got tired of it. I was like, I can't be in this state where I'm just like on edge all the time. Mm -hmm. uh, so, that, I mean, that was a huge, huge thing to just turn it off, you know, like to, to, to set boundaries for myself, just say from, you know, before bed, I was like, I'm not reading anything. It's like intense, you know, at all. Because I was like, I wasn't sleeping. And so, I don't know, that really, that definitely helped for sure. You know, changed my attitude. Yeah. I mean, mental health is super important too. That's something I'm starting to realize more and more, especially if you get to the point where you're working really hard, you might end up burning out if you like tackle too many things at once, like even emotionally, right? And you're always like tapped into the news. That That's exactly what my situation was. Actually, I had... Uh, New York Times, um, I would read Google News like all the time, every day, at least 30 minutes or so I re would reserve that time to like, I, I don't know how extreme it was for you, but for me, that was a lot like every single day. Um, and yep, went through the same thing, decided to kind of let go of it, unsubscribed. And I, I kind of felt some guilt initially, to be honest, like, why am I being apathetic towards the world's issues? But then I realized, well, now I can focus on making the world better if I'm not like mentally exhausted all the time from reading the terrible tragedies and just all the crap. Yeah, I'm glad you said that because it gave me chills. Actually, I was like, oh yeah, like I've been there. I've been to that place where you're like, oh, I can help people now. I don't feel like I'm just like overstimulated constantly. You know, the thing that's really been interesting, so I told you I took that, that neuroscience class like mm -hmm. years ago really if you're interested in mental health and you're interested in trauma there's a really great book I think everybody should read it's called the body keeps the score mm. but I think when you're somebody who's coming from you know if you're a woman or you're a person of color there's like a lot there's sort of like a lot of history that is of trauma that sort of like gets sort of put um on people and the thing I think that bought that book really sort of narrows in on is this idea that like you can't really give what you don't have yourself so like if you were you know and that your body when you're stimulated by negative news constantly like just notifications and being interrupted like that it actually triggers this part of your nervous system that keeps you in like a hyper aware state as if you were being attacked somehow mm -hmm. oh, and geez. when you're it when you're in that state constantly it actually produces the kind of hormones that initially are great when you're trying to like, you know, you're invaded by bacteria or virus is great because it's trying to sort of get rid of that invader. But if you're in that state constantly, what it starts to do is it starts to break down your body. 
And so things like cortisol start to like cause inflammation and they cause depression and that causes anxiety. And so like being stimulated like that actually has a really negative effect on your health and your mental health. And so like, I think that there, you know, when you say that, I'm like, yeah, it's really, it's really true. And it's interesting hearing you talking about how you felt a difference because there's a real biological difference. But I think that that's also important you know, if you're a person of color or you're a woman, you're going to be in a, you know, very stressful situations a lot in tech. And I think if you just have to take care of yourself, you know, and I think that's important. It's like a very critical thing. You know, you're right. You don't want to burn out. Yeah. And that's like advice I would leave anyone listening with, like, take care of yourself. You don't have to know everything. You don't have to do everything at once. Pace yourself. Because you only live once. <laughs> That's right. Um, one body and you have one life. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay, brilliant. Well, we actually have eight minutes left now, so I'm going to start to wrap up on the mini takeaway questions. Alrighty. So the first question for the mini takeaway section would be, how do you feel about the recent piece of news related to how AV is failing to recognize dark skin? So autonomous vehicles are not recognizing dark skin. Uh, I think people just need to really look at the training data and like not assume that the data that we're using is not biased that it, or it doesn't carry the bias that we have as a culture and as a society. Yeah. And just like a quick note on that, I read this, well, I didn't read it actually yet, but there's this book that I was given as a gift and it was like, I don't know, something about empowering women in the workplace. And right away they had a disclaimer at the beginning where it's like, we interviewed 110 women for this book. And of those 110, 10% identified as pe- uh, women of color. And of that 10% women of color, um, they identified as Asian American, Black, um, Latinx, or Native American. Yeah. So right away, like, I could not tell how many people actually identified, like, how many women they interviewed identified as Latinx. So already, like, mm-hmm. a lot of the data was probably, like, not as relevant to me potentially and so a lot of the advice in the book may not have been as relevant to me but that's kind of like the society we live in where all the perspectives are like kind of from like the white perspective and so it's something to be cognizant about because we are the minority but then when I think about that there was this other podcast I was listening to the other day it's called Techish um, and by these two black people in Britain and they were talking about how there's always this concept of like minorities and DNI and how can we get more minorities in tech. And the host was talking about how one of the hosts was talking about how it was a weird phrase to her sometimes because across the world, there are more people of color, right? Like just generally speaking. And even in the US, she was saying like, they're starting to like be more minorities in general now. So it's like, the, the, it's going to shift. Like the minorities will become the mi- majority. And I think that's like the whole concept between the, or, uh, behind the organization Code 2040, which is like this idea that by the year 2040, there will be mostly minorities in the US, right? So mm-hmm. it's just, it's weird sometimes to me too. And I completely agreed with what the host was saying, but completely related, definitely went off a tangent there. Okay, so the second question is, what is a useful app or platform that has helped you grow in your career? Yeah, I think I would say I have three, and 
the first one would be Meetup, and then Eventbrite has actually been a close second. And then in LA, we have the LA Design app, which is actually really great. What's LA Design app? I don't know who makes it, but it, it shows sort of like the events that are upcoming in like three or four months out that are specifically related to like UX or design. And sometimes they overlap with like engineering as well. But I mean, I always think that I think people should go to, you know, like if you're a designer, you should go to every once in a while to an event that's for engineers. If you're an engineer, you should go to an event every once in a while that's for designers, like just to see what people are talking about. Yeah. So funnily enough, for a lot of my past episodes for Tech Queens, a lot of folks say Meetup and Eventbrite for like that platform that helped them grow in their career. So kudos to them (laughs) for creating a useful platform like that. Um, Okay, cool. So next question, what does the term human-led, not human-centered mean to you? So human-led is uh, from a book called Mismatch by Kat Holmes. And it's sort of inspired by an anthropological idea of thick description. So she calls it thick data, but I think it's probably a little bit easier to to sort of simplify by calling it uh, qualitative data, which means that you're going and doing research with real people who are actually part of the group that you're trying to affect and letting them give you and educate you on what they know as the basis for making decisions in terms of how things get designed and how things get built. Fascinating. Yeah, human-led. I get it. I would need to read some more, though. It's a little bit high-level. What's the book called? It is, but you you should read the book. It's called Mismatch. It's actually very tangible. She outlines, like, very specific, tangible things you can do. Oh, okay, cool. So the concept's, like, philosophical, but the, the way that she's, the pragmatic way she says you can go about implementing it are actually very simple and straightforward, actually. You know, things like when you go and do qualitative research, you know, just finding, trying to find the people that are actually the experts in the area and not just making up or making assumptions about what people know. So if you really want to understand, you know, a community of people, say there are Black people in New York City, like you go and you actually talk to Black people in New York City who have something to say and, and listen to them, use that information instead of making assumptions about what you think you know about Black people in New York City just based on data that you see. Right. And I think from what I've taken from just that is that I feel like personally I've tried to live by that standard that you can learn something from anyone you cross paths with. Like you can, they can teach you something and you can teach them something too. And I will note those two books that you've mentioned so far. I think you might have mentioned more than two books, but the ones I have so far are Mismatch and then The Body Keeps the Score. So definitely those in the episode notes. Okay, brilliant. And then next question is, what is an organization or affinity group that you'd recommend joining? Uh, If Tech by Choice is in your town, definitely Tech by Choice. If it's not, you should start a Tech by Choice in your town. And if you're in LA, then Tech by Choice for sure, and AILA. Lots of uh, love for Tech by Choice. <laughs> yeah, I'm part of their Slack. I joined, I think, a couple weeks ago, so I'm still still learning. Um, brilliant. And then final question before we wrap up is, where do you live online, or how can people reach out to you? Uh, I actually still have a website. I think it's 1994. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, website. I'm also on LinkedIn. Um, yeah, those are good spaces. I mean, you you can find me on Instagram, but I might usually Twitter's better, I think, for tech stuff. 
Yeah, I think Twitter has been is like the norm for some reason. Still don't know why, but it is. Yeah, I mean, I love my personal website, so no shade there. Definitely not 19. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, brilliant. That's it. Thank you so much, Jamie. Really appreciate you being on the podcast and sharing your story, tidbits, your advice. I've learned a lot, actually. So really appreciate that. Yeah, feel free to reach out if you have any other questions or need anything else. Yep, that goes for everyone listening. And that's it, folks. Thanks for listening. And please feel free to share or subscribe to the Tech Queens podcast. References and links from today's episode will be shared on the website at techqueenspod.com. And if you're interested in being on the podcast yourself, just head on over to the website and fill out the contact form located near the bottom. doesn't matter where you are in your tech journey, whether you've been in tech for months or decades, I want to hear from you and I want to share your story. So until next time, stay fancy. Hashtag techqueens. Thank you.